We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Total Wine and More announces points with a purpose. Now through September 13th, collect five times points on wines and spirits. Points earned equals a matching donation to local charities. Up to $2 million in total. Shop with us today or visit TotalWine.com. Terms and conditions apply. With Bruce Buffer. And now, it's time for the voice of mixed martial arts. We are it's Bruce Buffer. Bruce Buffer. It's hey, everybody, it's time radio with Bruce Buffer. That's what this show is, but I'm not Bruce Buffer. I'm TJ DeSantis, and what you may or may not know is Bruce and I have done this show for over a decade. This past May, actually marked 10 years since It's Time started uh, way back on SureDog.com, and now we're, of course, over on uh, the Revolver Network. Uh, but every once in a while, Bruce goes and travels and does big things, which requires me to dip back in the archive. Total Wine and More announces points with a purpose. Now through September 13th, collect five times points on wines and spirits. Points earned equals a matching donation to local charities. Up to $2 million in total. Shop with us today or visit TotalWine.com. Terms and conditions apply. I've seen find some good interviews to kind of give new life to. And this one is one not to miss. I know you're thinking, oh man, why is Bruce Buffer not here to talk about the madness that was Colby Covington defeating Rafael Dos Anjos uh, last week. I get it. I know. We'll get to it next week. I promise. The MMA world. Uh, it moves, but it will always circle back to chaos, and Colby Covington is definitely chaotic. Uh, anyway, what interview am I going to play? You know, you clicked on it, right? Yeah. Uh, Josh Brolin, a fantastic uh, star of uh, the screen and film and uh, he's buddies with Bruce Buffer. They lift weights together at Gold's Gym. And uh, we're going to go back to an interview we did in April of 2016. And uh, Josh talks uh, about a variety of topics, his career, uh, some of the projects he's done in the past, uh, in the future at that time, which is now in the past. And, uh, yeah, a really great interview. So check it out. Uh, Josh Brolin on It's Time Radio. It's time to begin! <laughs> Who am I kidding? I'll let him do it. It's time! Now, back to the voice of MMA, Bruce Buffer. And we're back on It's Time Radio, and something I've looked forward to for a very long time. We have a very special guest on, an amazing actor, an amazing talent, such versatility in everything he does. I'm so honored to have Josh Brolin on the show. Josh, how are you? What's up, 
I'm so happy <laughs> to do this with you now, man. We are we are Gold's workout buddies. Um, that finally get to come together professionally, which hey, makes me very happy. Josh, you made Buffer's life when you dropped uh, the name of the podcast on the Nerdist podcast when you were on there a few weeks ago. And I played the audio for Bruce, and I I, I threw him a surprise party last year, which he thoroughly enjoyed. Mm-hmm. This this little audio clip that I played him where you uh, uh, had mentioned Outweighed this that show surprise party? By leaps and bounds, sir. <laughs> by leaps and bounds. So are you angry at me? That's the question. No. No. no, not at all. Honor. No, 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 not Bruce. Oh no! I mean, you no. upstaged me. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. I was yeah. very, I was Good. very, I was it very upset. Be. But uh, you came on the show, so it works out. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, it was. Uh, it's it's here because I'd never done a podcast and the Nerdist, and I, I, you know, I try to be very honest. And I got on there, and I was like, you know, what is this whole thing? Tell me, explain this whole thing. And all I know about podcasts, my only reference to podcasts, is Bruce Buffer. It's the only podcast I ever listened to, other than listening to my own Nerdist podcast after I was on it, <laughs> which is just so self-involved. I can't even believe that I admitted that. Well, you know, based on what you just admitted, I'm telling all our listeners right now to tell their family, friends, business associates, whatever, if my podcast or our podcast is good enough for Josh Brolin, it's good enough for them. I think you just got us another 5,000 listeners. Absolutely. From between 5 and 95 years old, Bruce Buffer podcast. For there you sure. go. Hey, Josh, I'm surprised uh, you don't have a podcast. It seems like everybody and their mom has a podcast You know, days. it's funny because there's a guy that I know who's, you know, sadly recently divorced, and he's kind of looking at, you know, for uh, uh, some, a new line of work. And I said, again, instigated by my relationship with Bruce Buffer. I said, why don't you have a podcast? So it's everywhere. I, I, it's, it's, it's at the forefront of my mind always. Well, if you need help with that, talk to us. <laughs> okay. and we'll, we'll get it going with you. We'll, we'll, right, we'll show you how it's done. You good. can do it right, right Where are you right now, by the way? Right now, I'm usually in studio with TJ, but because I've been traveling and i got to leave for Zagreb, Croatia, I have a lot going on. I'm actually in my, uh, my studio, in my office. Okay, cool. I thought for the, there was some reason that I thought you were in Australia at some point. I was in Brisbane a couple weeks ago, and uh, just last weekend I was in Dallas and Vegas for non-UFC events, and I go to Zagreb, Croatia on Thursday. You know, you film films all over the world. Have you been to Croatia? I have never been to Croatia. My dad was in Croatia once and said it was one of the most beautiful places he'd ever been. That's what I understand. That's why I'm going to go in for a day early. I want to enjoy it, do a little sightseeing and enjoyment. Sure. I, I heard it's the land of six-foot beautiful women, so I'm even more excited to go oh, over yeah. there. And uh, who knows? Given that you've had two, two porn stars on your podcast. Yes. <laughs> you've listened to Layla Sin and you listened to our one a couple weeks ago. That is the sex and relationship show, Josh. <laughs> Did were you uh, were you okay with it? Did it? Uh... I was. I like. I listened to. I listened to the blurb of the first one, which I won't even say her name. But the first one, and then I heard Herb Dean, and then I heard the third one. So that was the trajectory for me. Perfect. All right. Yeah. Well, now you know what you've gotten yourself into. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, Josh. Um, I'm a huge fan. Okay, we're friends, and Thanks, I'm very, man. very happy with that that we've become friends. You know, yeah. over the last uh, year or so, and yep. uh, but I'm a huge fan of your work before I ever met you. I mean, it's it, when you look at your career, I, I it's just so varied, so versatile, and Thanks, you prepare for so many different roles. I mean, there's character actors that pretty much walk up and pretty much do the same thing in every film they're in. Mm-hmm. You are a true actor nominated for academy award nominated for sag award your performance as dan white in the movie milk was just fantastic um with your versatility 
is this something that you just never want to do? You just never want to do the same thing and everybody characterizes just that one type of actor. You're constantly looking for a different type of film to test your, your skills and, and get you going for the roles you play? Well, I mean, for, for me, there was never, when I first became an actor, I didn't, I was always seen as like the kind of, because of how I physically looked. I was like the jock and I was never the jock. You know, I was I hung around with a bunch of like surf punks and you know punk rockers and all that, and I was never the jock. So it just never meshed with me. I never understood it. I understood more the character stuff, but it wasn't until I got together with a great friend of mine, Anthony Zerby, who's just a, a great classical actor who's in his seventies now, and then we started doing theater. So instead of like trying to make as much money as I could, if I got a little notoriety, I went and I did a bunch of theater in New York with Anthony and he was the he was the one that was like you know get into these roles or get into this type of thing and see how much you can push yourself and you know be a Puerto Rican you know this one play and then the next play be a guy with traumatic brainstem injury and then the next play just keep challenging yourself behaviorally and see what see how far you can go with it so it was really because of him that I and I loved the idea because I saw the surprise on you know we, we were at the Jiva Theater in, in Rochester New York and I saw the surprise on people's faces from, you know, year after year. And I just loved the idea of being able to do that in film, you know, and, uh, and, and people going, wow, I didn't know that was you in that film. Or I was halfway through the film and I didn't realize it was you until, you know, somebody said, you know, that genre or whatever. There was something very attractive to me about that. You know, I've talked to actors where it's the most attractive thing is being the most famous you can be or the most attractive thing is having you know, a huge spike as an action hero or, you know, whatever. The thing that was most attractive to me is for people to not know it was actually me until halfway through the film. Well, you show that, you know, in the variety of films I mentioned, you know, before that you do, and whether it's No Country for Old Men, which is an amazing, amazing film. And uh, and also, I want to go back for a second. Anthony Zerby, I'm very familiar with. He's a fine, okay. fine character. actor. I used to play some of the best bad guys in the totally. old TV show Gunsmoke, remember? Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, just Omega I, Man, Gunsmoke, um, you know, just I mean a bunch, a bunch of films. Yeah, absolutely. James Bond. Yes, correct. Yeah. yeah, he he had that he had that quality about him that, yeah. that always stood out. And you know, when you look at the, again the getting back to the variety of films that you've been in, I, I I have to go back to No Country for Old Men. Now, that film was one of my favorite films of the year, as Sicaria was one of my favorite films of the year last year. We'll touch on that in a second. When you work with uh, Javier Bardem in No Country for Old Men, who is probably one of the most formidable uh, villains, bad guys I've ever seen, the way the yeah. script was written, yeah. what's it like in preparation for a film like that? What do you go through for your preparation in these very roles that you do, whether it be Everest you did recently and, and even the film coming up? Do you take a month, two months? I mean, is there, is there a methodology to your, to your preparation? It depends because like right now we're getting ready to do a film that's based on the Yarnell Fire disaster in uh, in Arizona, where 19 firefighters died. So there's a lot more prep going into that now of having to actually go to hotshot school and learn about wildland fires and all that. And that's great. I mean, I love doing that stuff. Or Everest, you know, we actually we climbed. My fiance and I, who you know, Catherine, yes, um, climbed uh, Whitney together. We climbed Shasta together. We we climbed the backside of Iger with a buddy of ours, uh, Dean Potter who's not around anymore. Um, and so, you know, when you do that kind of thing, it's great. With No Country, you know, I didn't have much dialogue in that. So it was more like the paranoia of how to keep it interesting without saying anything. 
you're, you get afraid that you go, okay, what do I have to like, you know, do expressions or like, what's going to keep it interesting? And Javier, I remember, went around all day long with his hair, you know, parted to the side, thinking he looked like an idiot. And going, you know, we all thought, we had no idea. The point is, is we had no idea while we were prepping it that it was going to be any kind of a movie that anybody would watch, let alone enjoy. You know, people say, was there a feeling in the air that this was a really good movie? You go, no, it was the opposite, actually. I remember Ethan Cohen even saying at some point, nobody's ever going to see this movie. And I was like, you can't say that. We haven't even finished the movie yet. I, so, you know, it's, yeah. No, go ahead, finish. I'm sorry. No, you just have never, you never know. You well, never yeah, I, know. I, I, I've heard this from other actors before, even going back to Richard Dreyfuss and Jaws, who thought it was just going to be a horrible movie. It turned out to be one of the biggest movies right. happening. Exactly. I mean, you really, you really don't know what works in Hollywood till it works. You have no much. idea. And the movie that you think, you know, honestly, not to jump too far ahead, but like we thought Everest, which did well, and we were happy with that movie, but we thought it was going to do much bigger business. Sicario, I thought, was going to do no business. So it, sh- it goes to show you what I know. I don't know anything. <laughs> I, thought I think I know something, but I don't, I, ultimately. Well, you know what? That's okay. Your job, if I'm correct in this, is to just give the best performance you can give and get as much into your, you know, your role as you can. It's, it's the marketing and the powers that be that got to take it from there, if I'm not incorrect on saying that. Yeah, but I've always been involved, like whether getting producer credit or not, I've always been deeply involved in, in marketing and, and you know, putting a film together and you know, who, what director and what this and what DP. And, you know, and sometimes you're right on. You know, and sometimes you, I, the, more, the more films I do, I mean, this is such a cliche, but the more films I do, the more I realize that I know nothing. And the people who you think aren't going to make a good film suddenly come out and the film's fantastic. The one exception to that, you know, there's once in a while there's an Inuritu that comes up or once in a while there's a Denis Villeneuve that comes up and he, they just have a deep understanding of story. So mm-hmm. even if their film is bad, it's good. You know, their gotcha. worst film is still a really good film. Well, that it's kind of like I'm going to do a parable here, real quick. It's yeah. like when I see the greatest fight in the UFC octagon. Yeah. Two months later, I'm I'm in, I'm going to see another great fight that I think is the greatest fight. That keeps my personal career in the octagon entertaining, motivating to keep going. Totally. So it's like always reaching for that next level. You know, well, you and I have, have, have spoken about this, and you know, your job is to be the best at your job as you can be. And we've spoken about how your job you've created, not that it's not personal to you, but you've created a character. When you go out there and you give a thousand percent to its time, even though it's become like a brand at this point. Now, some people will laugh at it. Some people get jazzed up by it. Some people can't wait for that moment to happen. Um, and you go out there and, I, you know, I finally got to see it in person. <laughs> it was like, watch, you know, a great play that you've heard about forever. And I, I watched my buddy Bruce Buffer say it's time about, you know, 50 feet from my face. And it was fantastic. And wow. then I got to see, following that, the two, two of the greatest upsets of UFC history, which on top of that was like, it was literally the perfect night. It's the first time live to a UFC event. I got to see two of the biggest upsets, and I got to see my buddy do the thing that he does beautifully. Wait, your first UFC was UFC 196? Yeah. Live. Oh my. Live. No yeah. way. Was like, it 195? Was 196? No, 196. 196. I mean, talk, talk about, like, don't ever go to another one. Seriously. Dude, literally. Just, like, why, why, why continue from here? It's not going to be better than that one, ever. <laughs> it was well, amazing. And by the way, I was sitting there being a huge fan, you know, 
Holly Holm, big, big, big fan. You know, and I'm a Venice guy. I'm a Dogtown guy. So Rhonda, I don't want to say anything bad about Rhonda, but there was, you know, there was some questioning involved in my um, kind of obsession in my, uh, with Rhonda. And then Holly Holm came along, and I really liked her a lot. And then, and then um, um, Conor McGregor. And I was having coffee after that fight at Groundworks, and I looked across the street, and there was a Rolls Royce there, and some some people were taking pictures and all that, and I was like, you know, Rolls Royce, who cares? You know, it's Los Angeles. There's a bunch of Rolls Royces in Los Angeles, and I didn't even put two and two together. And he, that Rolls Royce, went around the block, and I looked, and I saw. I was like, no way! I literally have never been so starstruck in my life. McGregor was obviously riding his, driving his Rolls Royce. Now that guy, in the way that he dealt with his defeat in 196, I had so much respect for. I was, he was immediately responsible. He took full responsibility for that defeat. And, uh, and I love that in a champion. Truly love it. You know, it's, it's great to hear that you're as big a fan as you are. I want to thank you for your kind words uh, about me watching the show. I, I just take that to such heart, and I'm blushing right now. It's true, man. But watching you, thank you, watching you and your fiance Catherine Boyd at Octagon Side in the first row, you were like two kids in a candy <laughs> store. TJ, he's jumping up and down out of his seat. Couldn't help he, it. He's beaming a mile wide. I mean, yeah. it's just an honest reaction to yeah. an incredible experience. But you do have June 4th coming up at L.A. at the Forum for the Rockhold Live and Rematch. Are you going to be in town or are you going to be on I don't know. I don't know. We're figuring it out right now. This is literally like this is, this is a huge thing for me because I'm going, are we actually going to be filming or can I come back? Are we going to be in Hot Shots training at that point? So I'm in the midst of figuring it out. Gotcha. You know, I want to go back one second. I think TJ has a question for you, too, after this. But you Uh mentioned about not much dialogue and no country for old men. Um, I had the pleasure uh, of being good friends with Steve McQueen during the last six years of his life when he was living out in Malibu when I moved out there in 1972. Right. And um, I remember that when Chuck Norris, you know, he was giving him acting advice and stuff. And he he basically said it's all about expression. You know, it's not so much the words. And I think, would you say I'm correct in saying he's one of the better actors, just what he could say with his face? and display the emotion with his face with a little bit of dialogue. To me, that's, that's not an easy thing to do as an actor, is it? Three things. One is I know Chad really well. You know, I've known Chad for a long time. His son, One of my best friends. Oh, well, he's, uh, he's, I've known him forever, and I love him dearly. And, and the other thing is I was named after Steve McQueen in a series he did called Wanted Dead or Alive. That's mm-hmm. which, it's not a biblical reference. Right. <laughs> Steve McQueen reference. And then thirdly, yes. You know, he, there's a great story about Steve where he would be doing Wanted Dinner Alive and he would grab the script and he'd grab a pencil or a pen and he'd just start crossing out lines. And, and I get it because he understood where, you know, Benicio Del Toro was kind of the same on, on Sicario. He understood where it would be most effective when he spoke and he understood, which I think is... Um, you know, uh, uh, there's a massive lack of ego in understanding, hey, if I don't speak here, my eyes are going to speak louder than whatever I say that might get in the way. So I think it's the people who understand that what you don't say is just as powerful, if not more powerful, than what you do say. And the timing of that, when you choose to say something, when you choose to not, um, are, to me, the greatest actors out there. You have your Clint Eastwoods, which is a very 
particular type of actor. Right. You have your, you know, Steve McQueen's, you have your Benicio Del Toro's, you have me in certain roles that I would never put myself in that, you know, in that trajectory of great uh, actors. But it's, 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 it's a learned, or I don't know if it's intrinsic or not, but it's, it's definitely uh, an art, the art of not saying anything. Yeah, I agree with you. And you know what? It just doesn't apply to acting. It also applies to business and totally. life in general. It, it, you know, it's, it's like even when I play poker, you know, at the highest level. Right. When you got to know when to move. You got to know when to be offensive. You got to know when to be defensive to make your point. And a lot of people, they go too quickly and they blow the whole opportunity. Right. Uh, Absolutely. That's why it's great watching those, those shows. And you know what they're holding, and you get to see. Hopefully, they don't have glasses on, and you get to see what they're doing. It's amazing, man. The discipline, the behavioral discipline is amazing when you watch poker, good poker. Hey, are I, you. Oh. Go, go ahead. I, I, he said poker, TJ. Just one more second. I'm so sorry. TJ, just so you know, uh, <laughs> the name that he, he was named after, Steve McQueen's name in One and Dead or Alive, the TV show, which brought him into a TV star. One of the few TV stars to become a film star back in those days, along with James Gardner and a couple others, yeah. uh, was Josh Randall. Yep. TJ, just a little bit, a little bit of trivia. Just had to throw that out. Uh, okay. TJ's itching at the bit to ask you something. Well, oh, I'm, I'm not itching at the bit. I just want to pick up the conversation here and, and bring it back a little bit to modern day film. Um, you know, it seems year after year we're getting so many movie remakes and reboots, and uh, you know, it just seems like Hollywood has lost its flair. For creativity, and and I was curious, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Why can't we come up with new film ideas? Why did I have to sit through that abomination of a film that was a remake of Vacation? <laughs> I liked it. I think that's more of a personal question to you. Why did you sit through it? That's a great question. You know, I, I don't know, and I guess maybe maybe I'm part of the problem, right? Because I'm the I, one who spent my money. Absolutely, because you yeah. sat through it. Yeah. You sat through it. I don't think I don't think at all that there's a problem with Hollywood at all. Because there there's there's so many movies being made and there's so many cool movies being made. The only problem that I see is that there's a there's a mid range movie that's not that's being made less now. And that's they say that's like thirty to forty million dollars. So to me, why is it that you know, Marvel or Disney or whatever, the $150 million movie turns into the billion-dollar profit. And then the small movies that are really fucking creative right. and, and really innovative are not seen by anybody. What happened to The Godfathers? What happened to a really smart, brilliant movie with great actors that was seen by everybody? Right. Yeah, that's, that's my thing. Yeah. There, all those movies exist, except they're kind of categorized into... You know, a demographic that's either, you know, too, like I just did a movie, Hail Caesar, and Hail Caesar was loved by geekdom, loved by, you know, the, the, the film freaks that go, oh my God, the Coens can do no wrong. And I think there were a few people who loved it anyway, but why, why didn't it touch the bigger audience? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, by the way, the Coens can do no wrong, in my opinion, but uh, uh, neither here nor there. I, I, I'm curious, what would you think? Uh, I mean, I guess it sounds like it's happening, but a remake of the Goonies. I, I, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this. Mixed emotions. <laughs> I like your questions. Uh, vacation and then Goonies too. Well, you know, that, those those are where my film. Uh, TJ's at the higher he's cerebral level. To a different place, he is higher level for <laughs> yeah. sure. I'll take yeah. it. Um, yeah, I, uh, I just, uh, I, w I just went out to lunch with Jeff Cohen, um, Chunk, right? 
and I hadn't seen him in 10 years. So we went out, and he's a, he's a lawyer. He's an entertainment lawyer now. And basically, he'd, we'd been saying, let's get together and all that. And it turns out, he kept, you know, we were like, so we have lunch for an hour, and then somebody came up to us, and they said, you know, Mr. Brolin, they have, uh, you know, Richard Donner is sitting at the table in the back. Um, he would love to say hello. And I said, what do you mean he's sitting at the table in the back? And I look at Jeff, and he goes, I didn't do it. I didn't set this up. I didn't say, I swear to God, I didn't set this up. So we go over there, and not only is Richard Donner there, but Mel fucking Brooks is sitting at the table. Wow. And many, oh, dude, it was the craziest thing. And I'm looking at this table of just brilliant, you know, 70 to 80-year-olds who basically, you know, changed, changed film in, in whatever era they were in. You know, definitely had a massive impact, especially Mel Brooks. I think I know the delicatessen. I'm going to guess that was a delicatessen on Pico Boulevard outside Century City. Right? It actually was not. It was oh, a okay. place where I never go called um, Porta Via. Porta Via. I haven't been there, yeah. but I'm familiar with it. Which is, which is a buddy of mine's place. And so I went there. Anyway, so he talked about Goonies, too. He said there's been like 10 different versions in the last 30 years, and they haven't yet found a version that's acceptable. That's all I know. Well, you know. Would you, you asked- want to see it? Uh, if it was good, yes. But if it's bad, like, but that's no. That's what I'm saying. You, you never know? know. I mean, uh, I Can you imagine it, if we do one and it's like the vacation experience that you have? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like, so it, why do it? It's uh, exactly. I would, I would rather, I would rather miss out on a decent movie, um, to sort of, you know, uphold the, the legacy. Me too. So um, I'm with you. I'm with you guys on that also because I don't want to see a bad remake, obviously, when it happens. But, you know, you talk about remakes, and the question that TJ asked you, I have an answer for that, too, is that we're constantly dealing with new generations coming on. You know, because I wonder why, why does Hollywood want to spend all that money to license, you know, a past title, to license a past movie? Just make a movie put under a new title. But I can see why they do it. An example, uh, TJ, that Josh was involved in, John Wayne's True Grit, for which he won an Academy Award. Uh, I love that movie. And then True Grit came out. Um, which you were in, Josh. And I thought that was an extremely fine film, extremely fine remake. I love Westerns, which are made so few these days compared to how they used to be made. But it was a great job and fine film. You know, I good remember job. Robert Duvall actually said to me that your version was better than ours. Wow. Talk Robert about Duvall high was praise. In that movie. He was in yeah. the original version. So to hear that from Robert Duvall, who would, you know, if he didn't believe that, he would never say it, being Robert Duvall. Right. Um, but yes, he loved he loved our version, and you know that's one of those things. If you created a model of a of a movie that would fail, it would be True Grit. It's a remake. It's a western. Um, Jeff is drunk. Matt has his uh, tongue cut out, and I'm speak. I don't even know what I'm saying. Like I created a voice where I literally is indecipherable. So <laughs> it's set up to do no business, and it did not only um, the biggest business they've ever done, it was twice what they did on No Country. Wow. You never know. That's huge. There's your example again of never knowing. So getting back to the Westerns, though, uh, do you think there's room for more Westerns as we go on, or do you think it's one of those things that's going to come along a few times a year, if at all, because of where we're at in life today? It depends on what kind of Western. Like, I just did a movie with a kid who's never acted before that they found out of 10,000 kids in, in Texas. And uh, it's a hunting film. And I take this kid through the, you know, the backwoods of uh, North Carolina for his first deer hunt. And it's this, uh, they just, they don't get along. 
they come from very different places. The kid's kind of a modern street kid, and his dad, you know, uh, does videos on hunting. And it's their total disconnect until they eventually connect. And so it would be a Western, it would be more of a contemporary Western, but it's still a Western. Love Westerns. Just a huge yeah, me fan. Too. Me too. Uh, you know, what? American Gangster, which is a film I really enjoyed, um, way over the top at times, you know, uh, it, just a very interesting film to watch, but it's a very varied ensemble of actors. Do you find that when you, some of the films or the films that you go on, is it exciting for you to know that you're going to be working with all these varied actors, or does it just not make any difference to you? I mean, what's your feeling on that? No, at that point, I mean, look, man, I did 22 years of of doing what I do and not really knowing what the next job was going to be, which changed when I did No Country. You know, I auditioned basically for every job before that, and, you know, I just never knew. There was times that I went 12 months without work. 16 months, I think, was the longest and I had a family, and I had you know a mortgage and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, eventually, after No Country, I started working more. But but um, American Gangster was still. I auditioned for that role as I was doing the the river sequence with the dog chasing me in No Country. Mm-hmm. So we were doing that um, just for two hours every morning, and we did that for five days just so the light was just right for Roger Deacon. So on the way back home was when I was studying my six scenes in order to audition with my son for American Gangster. The point is, is when I showed up on American Gangster, I was in absolute awe. I mean, I was working with Russell, I was working with Denzel, and I was extremely nervous. And not only was I nervous, I was supposed to be like the tough guy in the movie who wasn't nervous. So, I, you know, everything you see me doing in American Gangster is totally fraudulent because I was <laughs> shitting my pants. <laughs> <laughs> That's brutal honesty right there. That's acting. <laughs> you, know, and yeah. I, you know, you just try not to shake and, and all that. And I had actually, I've told this story before, and I'll try to make it short, but the first, the first scene that I did, I told them when I was doing No Country that, I was going to lose weight because I saw the guy as kind of being speedy. And then once I started to do more research and all that, I thought, well, there's no real need for that. Either that or I was just hungry and felt like eating more, which I think is more the case. And so when I wore these polyester suits for my first scene with Russell, when I put it on, this great white polyester suit, it was really fucking tight, like really tight. So I went up to do my first rehearsal with him, Um, didn't even really say hi. Um, you know, sort of just nodded each other, me and Russell. And we went through the scene, and I was really nervous. I was shaking a lot and all that. And finally, I asked Ridley, I said, do you mind if I just kind of work through the scene with Russell and just kind of like walk in any direction? And I was really just trying to get through my nerves. And he said, no, 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 it's all right. Just, you know, try it. And and I said, okay, great. And, And I started doing the scene again, and I grabbed the seat, and I pulled it up next to Russell, and I sat down, and the ass of my pants just burst wide open. Oh. And I was like, oh, this can't be happening. So you have a moment where you always, you can like go, oh, my God, look at what happened to my pants. Isn't that crazy? But I missed that moment because it was just too tense and it was too serious and the movie's too serious. So I just missed that moment. And I got more nervous and more nervous and I'm absolutely positive it was the worst acting I've ever done in my life. Uh, so. I- I beg to differ on that one, but go ahead. <laughs> no, but no, no, no. But but I went back to my trailer, and he says, "Well, great, okay, well, th- you know, that was great." And I went back to my trailer, and I said, uh, "I yeah, I waited for him to show up and basically fire me." And then about fifteen minutes later, there was a knock at my door, and it was Ridley. And I knew it. I knew that was it. And I opened the the door, and I said, 
you know, that wardrobe had taken my pants, so I, you know, opened the door in my underwear. And he was like, um, he was like, uh, Josh, he said, uh, I just wanted to say something to you. And I said, yeah. And he says, I just want to say, you're bringing a vulnerability to this role that I think is really wonderful and something that I didn't really see when I read. So just continue doing what you're doing. It's perfect. I was like, okay. Love it. Love it. No idea. And, and And that's from what I consider to be one of the greatest directors ever in Hollywood. Truly. Truly. Truly, one of the he's greatest. Done some of the greatest. I mean, it's been around, and you know, once in a while he'll do something, you know, a movie where people go, "Oh my God, what's happened to him?" And then he'll come around with like The Martian, and you just go, "This is." I mean, he's a true, true technician and um, an amazing, amazing director who I would love to work with again. Yeah, I, I, I don't blame you. I'm sure yeah. a lot of people just bite at the bit to get that chance. Yeah. Talk about a, a split pants thing. I actually split my pants before a UFC down at Anaheim uh, Honda Center years ago. <laughs> Yeah, I split it from crotch to ass, all the way in the back. <laughs> five minutes, about, five minutes before I had to go in the octagon, and the makeup girl <laughs> literally pulled me backstage and sewed my pants together standing up. There you go. Yeah, but I wasn't so exactly. You understand? I understand. It's a, it's 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 a it's a funny feeling. Let's put it yeah, that way. I was kind of sitting here telling the story, going, "Well, that's it's kind of a lack of reaction there." But you were sitting there re-traumatized, remembering your own, you know, peril. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Josh, you grew up in Santa Monica. Um, I grew up in Malibu, you know, just down the street from Chad and Steve uh, back then. I went to Santa Monica High School, did you, and I was here during the Dogtown Boys, too. I graduated in 75. Right. Uh, Tony Alva was actually in the same graduating class as me at Samohai. Did you go funny. To, did you go to Samohai? No. What I did was is I, I was born here in Santa Monica, and then I moved to uh, Paso Robles, where we have a ranch now. I was in Paso until I was 10 or 11. Then I went to Santa Barbara until I was 16, and then came back down here when I was 16. Just want to make sure because I had all, I had a, was involved in a fair amount of brawls involving the the people around here. I want to make sure we never threw punches at each other. I, we, might <laughs> we might have. We might have. Yeah, I'm smoking a lot of pot then, so we might have. Uh, that was the day. That was the day. <laughs> but I know Tony really well. He's a great guy, man. Tony and Stacy. I know all those guys. I knew Jay really well. Yeah, is Tony doing okay? He's still doing pretty. He is. Good. He's doing great, yeah. actually. That's awesome. Awesome yeah, he's to hear. Doing fantastic. Josh, what's your next film? What's coming up? Um, I got. The year is, is good. I feel good about the year. We got a film called No Exit, which is about the Yarnell, uh, Arizona fire, um, wildland fire disaster. And then after that, we think we're working basically with the same people. We've been working on a sequel, a really, really good one, because I don't necessarily believe in sequels either, but uh, Sicario. Um, there's been another script written, um, uh, and it's really, really good. Like, it kind of surprised me how good it was. So. We're working on putting that together to maybe do that after I do No Exit. Um, and I'm going to do the Marvel thing, play Thanos. Oh, yeah. Now, that's a big one. And I'm so happy you said there's going to be hopefully a sequel to Sicario because when I watched the film, which I've watched three times, yeah. uh, I th- felt that the ending left it wide open for that sequel. Yeah, it's what they've done. And this writer who's just getting better and better, Taylor Sheridan, um, it's good, man. Like, it's it's... It's good. It's better than the finished film. This first script, this first draft of this next script, is better than the finished film of Sicario. So it's exciting. And you know, I talked about a formidable uh, villain in Javier Bardem, but yeah. not that he was necessarily the villain. I don't know if he classified as that, but Benicio del Toro's intensity in the yeah. role that he carried in Sicario was just I know, it's incredible, right? Incredible, incredible. And it's the opposite of him. He's the nicest, sweetest teddy bear you'd ever want to hang out with. Well, that's a fine actor. And Emily Blunt, yeah, to be so physical. I mean, how tall is she? She's not, she's not a 
she's like five eight, five nine, maybe five oh. eight. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because she she handles her physicality and her roles, you know, very very well. So I no, assume I the whole the whole cast we brought back, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. I mean, it, it's so far, I don't I don't know ultimately what they do, but uh, so far as I know, yes. That's awesome. Listen, Josh, I, you've taken plenty of time with us, and I, I could have you on for another half hour if you wanted to, but I don't want to take up. I know you have a busy day. Dude, I appreciate it so much. I'm so glad we got to talk. Uh, I, I love it, and I can't wait to see you at another UFC. I'll see you around our beloved Gold's Gym. Right, uh, are you in town for a while? I am. I'm in town until I leave to do this movie in June. Okay, then I will right? be seeing you. Definitely. All right, man. See you guys. Thank you, sir. All right, Josh, thank thanks you. so much. Have Later a great man. day, Bye. and uh, and please uh, say hi to Catherine for me. I will, for sure. Thanks for saying that, man. Thank you, Josh. Okay. Bye. Take care. Look Bye-bye. at that. Big-time movie stars on It's Time Radio. That is awesome. The preceding podcast was a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be directed to DeSantisProd at gmail.com. Hey, this is Jill from The Container Store. Oh. Is there something wrong? I just thought a virtual designer would be a cool robot. I could do a robot voice if that helps. Maybe. Hi, I am Jill. Let's design. Nope, absolutely not. Regular voice, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not good at impressions. Enjoy free virtual in-home closet design and up to 25% off closet systems with The Container Store's custom closet sale. The Container Store, where space comes from. Total Wine & More announces points with a purpose. Now through September 13th, collect five times points on wines and spirits. Points earned equals a matching donation to local charities. Up to $2 million in total. Shop with us today or visit TotalWine.com. Terms and conditions apply.